Hi everyone, and welcome to the Silvatis podcast. So today on the podcast, I have Andrew Scott, who is a teacher in the UK and also an author. Now, Andrew's just published his first book. It's a children's book called Billy the Brave, the world's first superhero. So I'm really lucky to be able to get Andrew on the podcast today. Thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on. Thank you very much for having me so far. Now, I'm so excited and I've seen the book. I've held it in my hands. I'm really excited for other people to get a hold of it. I think it's just such a beautifully written, but also illustrated book. And I'm going to let you talk about it first, because I can gush all all day about it. But I wondered if you could maybe tell us, for people who don't know you, what your background is and, and what inspired the book. And um, so I've been teaching for 15 years now. And one of the, my favorite things to do um, is to read to the children. Um, they, they, they love um, seeing me read to them, putting on silly voices. And, you know, I really love like, having the children in the palm of my hands, like, especially if the uh, book that I'm reading like, ends on a cliffhanger. You know, it's, it's a really good and very satisfying part of my job, sort of um, reading to the children, whether it be at the end of the day or in the lesson. So um, I've always dreamt that I would love to write a children's book. Um, and then whenever it came to 2013, the government introduced um, the new um, grammar scheme of work in the national curriculum. And it outlines so much more grammar um, for the children to learn. And myself and the parents of my students were never taught any um, of this before, like subjunctive form or parenthesis. It was a lot more um, detailed. And then I found myself as a teacher having to teach lessons that incorporated this grammar. Um, but I would have to search the internet um, for examples of it, or if, if I was reading a book to them at the time to make it relevant for them, I'd be reading through the book, trying to find examples. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, if I wrote a really exciting children's book that I know what children like, um, because obviously um, I teach the children in my class, I've taught every year group from reception to year six. And I thought, well, if I included all the grammar in the story, then it would um, help teachers because it would all be there for them, but also help the students because they could use it at home and also support the parents um, in that they can also learn um, what they didn't learn at school. That's amazing. And for anyone listening, can you give us just a brief synopsis of what the story is like? Like, where do we find Billy? What happens? <laughs> So at the start of the book, uh, Billy is a very anxious uh, lemur. He doesn't like to leave um, his family tree, the Gondwana tree, very often. Um, unfortunately for Billy, um, his brother um, is lost to the jungle of no return and presumed dead. Um, no spoilers there. Um, presumed dead. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but he ends up within the jungle um, on a quest for his brother. And on his way, he meets friends and foes um, and obviously dinosaurs. Um, and there are lots of uh, sticky situations he finds himself in that he has to escape. Um, and um, yeah, I don't really want to give too much else away. But yeah, it's definitely an adventure within the jungle 
uh, fighting against some of the most deadly beasts on the planet. I think that's a brilliant synopsis of the <laughs> book. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there because I don't remember growing up necessarily learning explicitly about grammar in the way, I mean, you used words that I've never even used before. So <laughs> that's how good a teacher you are, Andrew. Um, I wonder then, who's the book for? What kind of age ranges is it written for? Okay, so I would say it's an upper key stage two book. So I would say um, eight plus. Um, it can be the, the glossary at the end covers from year one to year six. So it covers all, all abilities um, in terms of, so if you've struggled with grammar in the past and you're in year four, or if you're in year five, you can still um, learn those things that you might've missed. Um, it could be read, uh, it's obviously down to the parents' uh, discretion, um, but it does have, it's quite an exciting book. It has dinosaurs in it and, the illustrations, like I mentioned before, are quite dark. So the parents can choose, obviously, depending on their children, but I would recommend that it's more of an, a more older um, primary school um, aged book, probably seven or eight plus. So Andrew, tell me, what's the process like writing your first book? Where do you start? Where do you get the ideas from? Help me out because I'm thinking of writing a book. Well, um, I actually wrote the book uh, in 2016, I think it was, um, in the summer. So uh, in true um, teacher uh, fashion, I had six weeks um, off and I'd already, I'd already been experimenting um, um, that year with um, the characters and sort of come up with the ideas of what, um, what was going to happen. Um, but I always found, I don't, I don't have enough time. I really need to sit down and sort of dedicate myself to this story. And I thought the summer is the perfect time. I have a long time um, to use. And basically um, I went, I would sit out in the garden and I hand wrote it when I first wrote it, actually. Um, I sat out in the garden and I would write um, a couple of chapters a day or I would go into London and sit um, in a coffee shop and and sort of um, write there. and. I literally can't really explain it. It just, the whole story just, um, you know, came out of me and um, sort of, I think all of the planning that I'd done months before that with characters and which dinosaurs that I wanted to include and things like that, it all just sort of came together in that one sort of, that six week break and I just um, wrote it. Um, but obviously 2016 was a long time ago. Uh, and I then obviously had to type the story up and then the tricky part was then going back to the story and editing it so that it had all of the grammar um, within it. Um, the glossary itself took a very long time as well um, because it all had to be color coded and referenced. And if you change one thing in the book, you have to change the glossary. Um, so that took a long time. And af after I wrote it for the six weeks, it wasn't like I then carried on. Obviously you go on holiday or you know, you're, you're back at work and lots of things in life get in the way. Um, so I was always doing it in bits and bobs and I'd be meeting Kieran as well. Um, she obviously um, has her own life as well. I um, mean, she had her studies and doing a master's and we would be able to meet up and say, okay, I would like this picture. What do you think of this? So it took a long time for, for that reason really. And it wasn't really until lockdown when again, I had a long period of time and I thought, you know, this book has been on and off for so long. I really need to finish it. 
And it wasn't really until lockdown then that I was given the time and opportunity really to dedicate uh, myself to the book again. So it, it took it took a long time. So um, yeah, uh, I would say you need to have sort of planned out where you want to go and then get to dedicate yourself um, a long time to um, sort of just let it happen naturally and uh, yeah, get into the writing process. Mm. I love that it took its time. You didn't rush it. And I mm. love that, you know, it sounds like for, lock, for, for a lot of people doing lockdown, this sort of creative this creative burst sort of research for a lot of people and I'm finding I mean this podcast came about in podcast in in, in lockdown um I'm wondering have you always been creative like that with storytelling with language um yeah it's definitely something that I um I've, al- I've always loved that I did English literature at A level um but I remember I remember my home economics teacher um at A level uh, she would always comment on how she loved like my writing style. And I wasn't writing for an English purpose. I was just writing, you know, um, about the assignment that was in home economics and just, and she would always compliment me on my, um, on my writing style. Um, but I must say, um, to be honest, um, just thinking about school, I actually remember in my first year of secondary school um, and uh, the teacher told my mom at parents' evening, that um that I needed to um have like remedial English lessons my my writing wasn't um strong enough and then in my second year of secondary school I got a different teacher and her name is Miss Pollock um and I had her for two years and then that just shows you the difference a teacher can make she really believed in me and and she really brought out the best of my writing skills so then when I went into my fourth year at secondary school I got back my original teacher um who then couldn't believe and he said like you know what's happened to you um and I thought you know it is really down um to Miss Pollock um and her teaching really um that really brought out sort of the writer within me um but in terms of creativity I've always been um like I I'm hand make my birthday cards for my friends and you know I like planning events and holidays and stuff I, I like being creative well, I hope somewhere Miss Pollock is listening to this because I hope so too. It's such a testament to how influential a teacher is to not just the academic standing of a child, but their growth, their personality, their self-esteem, their confidence. And it sounds like you know you really had a good one there. Wow, she was an amazing teacher. Um, thank you very much, Miss Pollock, if you're listening. Go by the book, Miss Pollock. <laughs> you talked about parents reading with children. I wonder, in your experience as a teacher, do parents necessarily still read with their children? Are they expected to read independently? What What do you find happens with the kids that you teach? Well, currently, um, I'm in year one this year. Um, and it is expected, obviously, that the children uh, read with their parents. Um, it is expected as well that they do read independently as well. Um, as the children sort of get older through the school, the focus is more that the children should read themselves. But when I was in year five, um, I would still encourage the parents to sit down and read just a couple of pages with them and sort of um, 
ask them sort of more sort of retrieval and vocabulary questions or inference like why do you think that character did this or what was the second item in that list just to make sure that they're actually paying attention to what they're reading. Mm. And so did you grow up reading as a child? Were you sort of encouraged to do that by your parents? Uh, yeah, we, we, I would always read before bed uh, with my mom and dad. Um, I always loved to read. Um, and which is why, you know, now I to see my book in front of me is such a, an amazing um, feeling because I just sort of think back to when I was a child and my mom and dad um, uh, reading stories to me and uh, thinking now that I've actually written um, a book myself um, is amazing. Um, but also, obviously, as I got older, um, I would be reading a lot more independently. And um, But we would still be, I studied English um, literature at A-level, and we were able to choose a book that we wanted to uh, write about for our coursework. And my mom and dad um, were avid readers as well. And I remember uh, my mom was reading a book called uh, Pompeii by Robert Harris, and we would sort of recommend books for each other. And she said, oh, why, this is a really good book, Andrew. I think you'd really like it. You could always base your um, your A-level coursework on that. And I read it and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and that I based I based my uh, piece of work on that. Um, and yeah, so even even as I got older, we were still recommending books, talking about books. And um, it's always been something within our household, really. That's amazing. I think there's something quite special about, you know, your, your relationship with your parents, especially with your mum, because equally my mum was such an avid reader like she would breeze through books like nothing um, and it would take me like three times as long to read the same book as her and I remember just being able to have those conversations with her about the books that we both had read and how that facilitated sort of that it just it reinforced parts of that literature that love of literature that love of language and that love of reading so I think that's really special what are your favorite books as a child growing up? Well, I must say um, Skellig um, by David Almond was definitely um, one of my favorites. Um, as, I, as I got sort of more um, into year six and sort of a bit older, um, I loved the a series of unfortunate events. Um, there's 13 books in that series and I really loved that um, as well. Um, but I, I would read um, anything really. Um, I, I always love being in the book corner um, at school, um, which is one thing that I always make sure I have in my classroom is a really sort of well-stocked, very attractive, very comfortable. Um, like I've got like, it's all themed around the beach and it has like a scene setter with like the most comfy um, rug there for them to sit on with like uh, pillows and um, uh, Johnny the Monkey, our class um, guided reading mascot, which the children love to lie on and they can read. Um, and there's like book reviews where they can go and write a book review and sort of stick it up um, so they can re read what their friends are reading and then uh, maybe make a, a um, maybe make a choice based on what their friend is reading. Um, so yeah, um, definitely, uh, I've definitely put that into my own practice now, seeing as the book corner was something that I loved um, as a child, just to make sure that um, sort of it really develops in my classroom sort of like the love um, of reading um, and sort of how powerful it can be for children as well. Absolutely I mean are kids still reading things like Enid Blyton and I don't know I read the Point Horror series which doesn't sound very highbrow but it was <laughs> really entertaining when I was a child. 
Uh, yes, um, I, in my uh, previous school when I was in year four and five, uh, some children were reading um, Enid Blyton. Um, Goosebumps um, is still, that was a popular series when I was a child. Uh, that's still quite popular. Um, and yeah, um, like the, the usual classics, like the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And um, yeah, um, Alex Ryder is quite, um, he's quite popular um, as well. Um, but yeah, uh, the children, they definitely still um, love to read. Um, and I think um, in class, by promoting um, and reading good quality text at the end of the day really inspires them then at home to want to read more. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering what you would tell parents who have children who aren't interested in reading or get very bored maybe with reading and have a very maybe a short attention span or they'd rather be going out and playing and things like that because I've certainly encountered sort of my friends kids who you know they'll start reading and get very distracted for example what would you tell parents if they're coming across that type of situation um I actually have that question quite a lot um and well with the older children <laughs> when I was teaching the older children but uh I would say to take them into a bookshop um, you know, not have a time limit, just to take them in and just explore and sort of browse the books that are in there and, you know, let them look at the front covers um, and the blurbs and just find a book that really interests them and um, not sort of forcing them, oh, everyone's reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid, so it must be really good and buy them lots of copies of that because every child is different. And um, I do know that um, with, with my book, um, I remember when I was in year five or year four, I think it was, there was a book called The Wolves in the Walls. And I had some quite reluctant readers in that class and they did not like reading, but they loved that book because the illustrations were so striking and so dark. And they, they absolutely loved that book. And I remember an important thing that I really wanted with my book is that I wanted um, to, to have really good, powerful illustrations um, in my book to attract sort of all types of reader. And um, as you've seen, like the, 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 the illustrations of my book are quite dark, they're very powerful. Um, and I would hope that anyone that is a reluctant reader that would see the illustrations, would really, it would really make them want to pick up the book and find out what it's about. Mm. And I find, especially with children's books, you know, the content is important. But I feel like the illustrations are just as important. Who did the illustrations for your book? Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, the illustrations are just as important. And I think it's a real shame that a lot with the older books now, there are no illustrations. It's just the front cover, which is why I really wanted to have some really good illustrations in the book. But actually, my illustrations are done by a friend of mine called Kieran Chana. Um, I met her, actually. She was... Um, the daughter of my teaching assistant whenever I taught in year two and she'd helped out in school and um, she done some volunteering coming on trips doing reading one-to-one -one with children that needed more help um, with their reading and um, I realized what a phenomenal artist she was from working with the children and, and talking to her and it was at this point that I started thinking about I'm going to I'm going to write a book I've got a really good idea um, and we just got into talking and she said, oh, um, I would love, um, I told her my idea and she, she said it sounded phenomenal at that time. And still to this time, there was no book that, that did what my book does. Um, 
in terms of the uh, the teaching elements at the end of it. Um, and she said, I would love to, um, I would love to illustrate your book. And then we, we've just met very regularly. Um, we used to sit down at a big long table and she would have practice drawings. I said, oh, I like that. Um, well, I'd like to introduce that. And, and yeah, and we were both definitely singing from the same hymn sheet though. Um, she really sort of understood what type of images I wanted. And uh, she actually went beyond what I could ever have imagined because the illustrations are just um, absolutely beautiful. And I can attest to that. I've seen the book <laughs> and the illustrations are really amazing and so intricate and detailed as well. And not what you're expecting from a children's book. It's not a very cartoonish type of illustration. It's quite real. It's quite tangible. It feels like it jumps out at you a little. Yeah, it, it definitely does. She, I mean, I, I'm not, um, <laughs> my colleagues will tell you when I, I'm in year one at the moment and I have to draw a picture to uh, match what I'm writing, but I am not a talented artist at all. Um, but so I don't know much about art, but I do know that she uses very, very specific techniques of like watercolors and layering pictures upon layer, or sorry, pictures upon pictures, um, sort of to, and it's just um, a very, very unique style of art and it really stands out. Yeah, and it shows. I wonder, Andrew, how long or oh, is there a recommended time that parents should be sitting with their children and reading with them? Um, again, it depends on the um, age of the child. So, um, like I said, if it was for the older children, um, it would, I, I only ever recommended just, you know, a couple of pages and then let the children read themselves um, as well, because they kind of want to be more independent. They don't want to be reading out loud. Um, they want to be reading, you know, by themselves. But I would say, you know, um, a good um, 15, 20 minutes a day for, for the younger children. Um, yeah, I, I would say um, that that would be, uh, you know, a really good way just to, and it's not just reading, like, um, I don't mean for, for one minute that they should be reading nonstop for 20 minutes. I mean, you know, they should be talking about the characters with them, asking them, oh, what do you think is gonna happen next? Or what did you think of that? You know, so it's more like a dialogue. So the children, you know, will read some of it, but to get into a good conversation about it and really develop um, like a really good oracy and um, sort of love of reading in a way, like I kind of did with, with my parents in the end, um, you know, just talking about books and sort of recommending books um, and sort of, and you sort of get to that stage by starting in the very early, early um, years and um, talking about books um, and sort of um, finding out you know, what you like and uh, recommending books. Yeah, I always feel like there's sometimes there's this pressure for kids to read more or for parents to be more involved with their reading because they're not doing it enough or there's this pressure for them to do more of it. How much does that translate when they get older and they start learning independently? Are there any sort of connections between how much or how involved um, kids are with reading at a younger age to sort of their academic sort of um, attainment or what they end up doing afterwards as, as older children or even teenagers? Um, I would say obviously um, every, every child is unique. Um, so you might have a child that, that doesn't um, read much at home that ends up, you know, really flying high in the future. Um, but sort of more generically, um, I would say that the children that read read the most at home um, 
obviously um, gives them a lot more conf confidence with their literacy, um, expands their vocabulary. Um, and as they get older um, in school, it's their writing that you really see the difference in, um, in the, their um, repertoire of vocabulary um, and their writing style sort of is because they've been exposed to so many different types of texts and so many different types, so many different um, authors, sorry, um, that and each author has their own writing style. So um, I would say you can definitely see in their writing which children read at home because they've sort of been influenced by an author or have um, the vocabulary, a much sort of um, wider range of vocabulary that they use. Yeah, and that's not to say that you know, adults who don't read as regularly sort of are going to pass that on. It just means you just need to encourage them. And I really like what you said earlier. You said you talked about retrieval cues and asked them about questions about the story. And I love being able to open up almost like a story within the story mm. um, with the with the parent or the guardian and then the child. It's almost like you're exploring it together. Yeah, definitely. Um, and those conversations are brilliant and the children really enjoy having them as well. You mentioned aspects of the grammar and, and things like that from your book. I wonder what makes your book stand out, especially given, you know, there are a plethora of books out there that parents might choose, like, you know, the best-selling types like Die of a Wimpy Kid kind of thing or Chronicles of Narnia. I wonder what they're going to get from your book that they might not get from others. Well, um, like I said previously, um, the grammar element um, really um, uh, makes my book one of a kind. Now, there is not um, another book out there that does what my book does. Um, and I really hope that teachers, parents and children can all use it um, sort of as a, a teaching tool. Um, but also the story itself, um, I would say that it's definitely got that unput downable factor. I've read it to the children that I've taught um, over the years and the feedback um, that I've got is that um, they loved it or because of the illustrations. Um, a lot of the illustrations um, have been sort of um, ongoing. So the children over the years have seen the illustrations, they've loved them. Um, but also um, how it's been written that at the end of each chapter, um, you want to read on and find out what happens. So it's definitely, you know, um, every time I finish a chapter, it would always be, oh, Mr. Scott, can we please read the next and um, the next part? Um, but obviously we wouldn't have time to the end of the day, um, which is what you really want to get from children. They just don't want to just listen. They really are sort of like um, really fully immersed in the story and really passionate and want to know what happens next. So I would definitely say um, that um, was a really, um, a big thing for the children in my class and the feedback that I got was that you know they really a loved reading it and just couldn't put it down um and the illustrations as well um they absolutely loved I, th I think the subject as well like um the lemurs being set in the um in the dinosaur era is a very exciting um and a very exciting um time I led an assembly in my current school reading some of my book um last week and they just loved it um and the illustrations really match the content. The dinosaurs um, look incredible and the children just love um, hearing about it. So Andrew, tell us where the book is released and when it's released as well. Okay, so the book is, and um, the official uh, release date is uh, the 29th of June. Um, you'll be able to buy it in all major bookstores. So um, 
Dobby H. Smith, Waterstones, um, Foils, Amazon UK, Amazon Australia, and soon to be, um, it's just gone on for pre-order on Amazon Australia, but also soon to be Amazon India um, as well. Um, My people will be very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I must say, um, I'm still in a bit of a shock about the whole thing to see it even on Amazon for the first time if I type my name in um, and to hear that it's going to be sold, you know, across three continents. Um, now it is just, um, yeah, it really is a dream come true. And I, I really haven't really, until I think I see it in the shop, um, then, uh, yeah, I don't think it will hit home until then. I only imagine amazing things coming from this. Have you thought about another book yet or is it too soon? Uh, no, um, I've got uh, two sequels in the pipeline. I can't tell you uh, where, I, where I'm going with them. Um, but yes, um, I have two sequels planned at the moment um, and probably will we start writing them in September, probably. Um, uh, yeah. And that's all I can say really about that. <laughs> so people want the sequel, they've got to buy the first book. Exactly. Um, where can people find more information um, on your socials, for example? Um, so um, I do, there is a uh, Billy the Brave, the world's first superhero um, Facebook page. And also there is the world's first superhero um, Instagram page um, where um, it will obviously be updated um whenever the book is out um and when um at the moment i'm currently um in the process of organizing like my book launch um and yes more information you can find there amazing and we'll link all the details down in the show description below so people can find links to the book and to your social media thank you so much for joining me and telling me about your amazing book i'm so honored to be able to have you on no, thank you, Sylvan. Um, I feel honoured to be here. Um, I was listening uh, to a couple of your podcasts actually last week, um, and yeah, I can't believe um, that I'm now I'm I'm now here. So uh, thank you very much for having me. You're one of the few on the podcast. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.